Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Svelte Radio. I'm your host, Kevin. I run a site called Svelte School, and I'm joined by my two co-hosts, Anthony and John. I'm Anthony, the CTO of Bianc. I'm a Svelte maintainer. And actually, I can say this now, I'm currently working on Svelte Kit, which is quite fun. Ooh, that's hot. We should talk about that. I'm Sean. I work at AWS and Temporal, and I don't really currently work on anything, but I do use Elder.js a lot. So that's fun. All right. So last weekend, we... Uh... It was last weekend, right? October yeah. 18th. I have the date memorized because oh, I was, it was promoting it so much. I, I, I have no idea. T- time is not my... Uh... Round circle. Yeah, no, no mine. All right. So what what did you guys think? Was it good? Uh yeah, I think we I think we went very well. Uh, um I wasn't sure if I was going to stick through the whole event because it was going to be a long one and it was very late at night for me and, and and on the weekend, but then I just found the the conversation really entertaining, the the talks were cool and I stuck around for the entire thing. Well, that's that's awesome. 7 hours. Yeah. I, I mean, I also did stick around for the whole thing. You cycled. You cycled like a billion miles. Well, I mean, <laughs> actually, it's quite it's quite a short cycle because I was I was trying to moderate the chat from my phone whilst sitting on the bike, watching the conference. But also, I had like the cycle train wrap up and everything else. So it was yeah, it was it was interesting trying to do too many things at once, I suppose. But uh, I think I did like twenty twenty five k or something. In an hour, which isn't that impressive, but it's you know it's it's worth doing. It was it was a good feeling as well. Like it was, what I found was it's surprisingly easy to concentrate when you're on a cycle trainer watching a conference. And I think that I'd like to just go to more events like that, but while cycling because it just it works really well. I like working out as well while like watching stuff. But it's usually very, it's quite hard, it's, right? It's nice. I've tried running and watching yeah, The Simpsons yeah. and I can't do that. You know, it's just it's just impossible. But this was much easier for some reason. Cycling is probably a bit easier. I kind of, in my mind at least, it feels like it would be easier. Yeah, well, you're sitting down for one, I think. But also, I guess you can vary the, the cadence quite easily. Like, you can just change gear and make it easier or harder if you want to focus on a specific bit. It's not like you're having to maintain a, a constant all the time. But yeah, no, it worked really well. It worked really well. So I'll, I'll probably try to do that in the future, actually. And then yeah, we watched the rest on the on the TV downstairs, and it was you know, it was it was me me watching and enjoying it, and my wife having it enforced upon her. But uh, you know, hey. <laughs> <laughs> so which talks did you uh, did you guys like the most? I think my favorite was like the Web Bella Mode one for sure. Oh yeah, like in a in a cre- creative way, I really like that one. The flying head and yeah, I think that's an easy one. <laughs> I mean, he, he actually, I think, expanded. You know, I, I do. I personally do a lot of pre-recorded conference speaking, and he's a first-time speaker, and he expanded the, my idea of what a first what a pre-recorded talk can do. So, like, he he you know built a thing and then played music, and then the rest of the talk was had that backing music. And that was it's genius. Yeah, yeah, it's nice to have a a pace setter like music-wise. I don't know if you've ever heard of the comedian Mitch Hedberg. He's dead now, sadly, but uh, he always had this like weird beat going on throughout his entire set, and it just it elevates it, it adds like a massive dimension to it, and I'm not even sure why. Like th- there's just I can't remember what the beat is. It's like um, I think it's somebody playing an instrument called Chuck, and then when it when his jokes change or when his jokes start to fail or whatever, which they do a lot because he's kind of an abstract comedian, he'll just say, "Can you just sort of." ramp it up a bit chuck and chuck will sort of increase the tempo a bit and change up the the way it <laughs> sounds such a good idea. it's really good it's really good way to do it actually so if you've got sort of i can't what, what instrument it is now it's ridiculous but if you've got somebody who can play an instrument get them along to your talk <laughs> and they can play in the background <laughs> pro tip yeah just to mention some of the others uh, i I, I realized that there's a lot of curiosity around felt transitions and, and animations i think we have three talks uh, so one, Nic- Nicola Davis on Crossfade, and then we had Mark Falkman on animations, and then we had Li Hao on transitions. And I thought that was, I, I you know, I, I always wondered that, and, and it, it was kind of like wish fulfillment for me to actually have talks like these that really explored uh, how they work and what we can do with them. Um, I think, it's, yeah, it's another, another reason why I mentioned those talks, actually, is because it's really, really difficult to talk on something that's that's kind of intricate and complex. It's very easy to do, to do talks, not very easy, but it's, it's easy to do talks on sort of more high level subjects, building that, building this, building that. 
but when you're trying to go into complex detail about an internal of something and do a talk on it and present and maybe even live code in some circumstances which is just next level but it's really really difficult and I think prepping talks I found that I tend to shy away a bit from more complex subjects because I don't feel like my understanding's as good as it should be to get that talk right so so yeah I think extra props those people who did did that kind of talk as well um, I think it's also you know worth mentioning Luke's talk on for me because I think especially since I kind of had prior knowledge of what Svelkit was doing it was really interesting to see how you could deploy an application to Cloudflare workers because that's it's something that's really pushing the boundaries of, of, of serverless and what we're where we're going kind of thing so I'll be that guy I confess that that I think that I think that talk was above my pay grade. Um, <laughs> I didn't really like you know I, I I have some familiarity with serverless functions, but I I didn't feel like I got the pitch. So I, I need to I need to watch it again because I, I didn't I didn't really get like what what the benefits were. <laughs> like is it faster? If you're building an application and and you're responsible for deploying the application, your kind of primary goals are to get the hosting really scalable, get it resilient, keep the cost down. And you know, make it make it as fast as possible. And I think that Cloudflare workers, or any kind of any kind of CDN worker like that, will fulfill all those criteria because you're running your application at the edge, like you're literally as close to the user as as is possible, really. Other than having a machine in their living room that's serving only them, but you're also you know you've got that resilience because there's so many Cloudflare nodes. It's full serverless because they are basically tiny little serverless workers. So it's it's really of interest to people, I guess, who are thinking about deploying an application and and sort of determining and deciding on what infrastructure they're going to use. So I think it's I think it's valid. It will go over the head for a lot of people because they may not be in that in that kind of space where they'd have to do that. But I think that once you start looking at the array of serverless offerings that are out there right now, there's so many. It's really hard to pick and choose between them, and you know it goes all the way from kind of the the sort of prior art of Heroku where you're 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 getting a little dedicated virtual machine to serve your application up all the way to Cloudflare workers, which is it's a very different concept doing fundamentally the same thing. So yeah, I think that's the case for a lot of people, but I think that at some point you'd, um, you may go, aha, <laughs> I'm going to go and watch that talk now because I need to do this thing. I'm a big fan. Yeah, I know you are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, straight, Spotkit is kind of built with this model in mind that we want to be able to render from within a worker. It seems like that's the case uh, because I, I also see this happening in, in React land, the new meta framework that's coming out this week, Remix from Michael Jackson and Ryan Florence. They're also adopting this model and it seems like a, a new trend that's coming out. And it, it also links in my head to Glenn Mattern, who he's, he's the guy who came up with CSS modules. And he, he's been promoting this idea for a while uh, of fabs, front-end application bundles, kind of containers for your front end that you can ship to Puffer workers. So he was on this idea like two years ago. Like no, everyone just ignored him because it was just so weird. Yeah, but that's that's <laughs> that's downside to being the first, you know, the first in the door kind of thing. Yeah. So so just to, on those points, yeah, SvelteKit is designed to be kind of serverless first because it, it does seem like the most logical way to deploy an application. And it can be done pretty smoothly whilst giving you a good dev experience locally if done with that in mind. A lot of serverless right now doesn't really factor that in and it's quite hard to develop locally because you're trying to run this impossible architecture on your local machine the fab thing was mentioned to me recently and i was sort of got excited about it and told rich and stuff and rich had already been contacted by them a few a few months prior and yeah that the this the concept of adapters and fab has a lot of overlap but what we're sort of thinking is we might build a, a fab adapter so that you've got these first class citizen deployment mechanisms for sort of the biggest and, and maybe the easiest deployment platforms. And then for everything else, you've kind of got fab because it, you, you by writing one single adapter for fab, you're opening a lot of doors. I think fab's an excellent idea. It's, it's, it's absolutely brilliant. And I wish I'd found it myself a lot earlier, in fact, because I think it's just going to save, especially when you haven't got the resource to build something in a platform agnostic way. You've got this adapter that will allow you to basically build for anything at all, which is which is great. So yeah, so Fab's pretty exciting, actually. My, my take on it is that we have too many config files in the world. And if we just, you know, all agreed on one config file, then the world would be a better place. But See, that's also how good. you get the 15th <laughs> config file when there are already 14 around, because everyone's trying to do that. But I think because every serverless provider, you know, I guess, has their own config file. So this would be a sort of platform agnostic one. 
Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's worth mentioning at this point. I've looked at all these providers, obviously part of building kit and stuff, but also I've looked at all these providers for a while to determine, you know, where I'm going to deploy my stuff to. And I think that my favourite so far has been the OpenJS architect that Begin.com uses. It's just really clean. It makes a lot of sense. It's not any known format uh, in terms of like it's not like YAML where there's a million parsers, but they do have a library you can pass it with yeah, called Architect, I think. And it just I just find the format really clean and, and logical. And if there's any one standard for config files, which I, I really don't think will happen, I would love it to be Architect because it's just great. <laughs> I'll provide the counter argument, which is that if you're truly platform agnostic, that's great. You can take your code anywhere, but then you're also not taking advantage of the platform by definition, right? And anything that platform can build in, you, you can't take advantage of it because that, it's going to be unique to that that particular platform. So, for example, Begin offers Begin data, and you can't use that anywhere else. So, <laughs> good luck. It's very true. However, what I would say, it's almost a store argument, actually, because the Begin data interface is extremely simple, right? It's get and set, and that's that's it. And I think that let's not kid ourselves begin data is just is just um what's that amazon database called the uh, key value one dynamo db it's just dynamo db so i think that any anybody who was to sort of decide to use architect format they could either you know not have not have a data uh, element to it and just say we don't have a data element or they could implement a key value you know get set over anything at all uh, i think it's quite abstract enough that you could implement it yourself on, on anything you wanted to, in fact. So, so yeah, I mean, I totally get your argument, Sean, but I think that abstraction makes things a little bit harder for the for the implementer, but I think it's definitely possible. Uh, shall we go back to the front end? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. Tell me more. Let's, uh, let's, let's, let's talk about plenty. Did you guys try that, this before before the talk? I, I, I have not. I checked out the site, and it, it, I mean, it's it's a cool static site generator. I just haven't tried it yet. Yeah. It's on, it's on my to-do list, but then so are many, many things. It sounds like a great idea. It's uh, sort of less developer-centric, which is really nice. So it's something I hope to do soon, but it's not. I haven't had a chance to look at it in any depth yet. Yeah, I feel bad. I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go try it now because like, it's, a, it's a site builder. They, they're betting their business on Svelte, just like BuddyBases, and we got to try all these things. Otherwise, how, how are they going to succeed and how is Svelte going to you know, grow without them? You know, so... I did actually try it like a, I think maybe a month or two ago. Just downloaded the like the starter, their example, and it seemed like a nice, nice thing. But I didn't try anything like more complex than that. But from from the presentation, it looked like really nice, very simple, very easy to get going. There were a lot of uh, static site generators at this uh, this conference. Well, two two. <laughs> I mean, then there's there's LDJS. I think it, yeah, that's the other one. But yeah, but this, I guess that's why I'm saying it's not developer centric because it feels like Plenty is designed a bit more for maybe maybe a, a business minded person who doesn't have the the technical skills to maybe use Elder because it's pretty complicated for non developers. And I think that's something that's, that's that's really needed is is and you know it's been done a million times over the years. Somewhat someone somewhat will get it right. Building websites it's not going to ever produce the kind of website that you might get built by a dev team, but it certainly can build something that's fast and light and appealing and responsive and, and, and flexible enough that you can build a, at least a, an MVP or you know, maybe even run your entire business on it, depending on how small you are. So, so yeah, it'd be good to see something in that space. So hopefully plenty is that. Yeah. I think, I think plenty is, is like, so elder JS is uh, a bit daunting to get started with. And on compared to to that, plenty seems extremely easy comparatively, at least. Yeah, I will, I'll co-sign that. Elder, like if if I didn't have Nick Reese uh, on tap for for support, <laughs> then I would not have gotten anywhere. For yeah, same. But I th- I think the his speaking of of Nick, his talk was really nice. Uh, I think it showcased like the strengths of Elder JS pretty well. It did, and it and it and it showed me kind of because I I I knew of it and I knew roughly about it. I didn't know much about it in depth, and I was looking forward to the talk because I wanted to actually see it. You know, building a sort of simple app in it, and it is exactly what I thought it would be, which is you know it, it is specifically designed for SEO. It's not something you'd use to build your your application website, your your you know an online shop or something necessarily. It's it's something you build to build uh, an online estate of 
of highly indexable content for for marketing, which is it fits perfectly, but a very different offering to say plenty anyway. So I haven't told Nick this, so I, you know I would just I'll just think out loud and reflect my my thoughts here. Building a, a static site generator for for SEO that, that's a weird branding thing to me because SEO to me sounds like make it fast, you know, make it statically rendered, put all the right meta tags, and then you know write great content. That has nothing inherently to do with the the static site generator. That that's that's where I, that's where I really you know struggle with with this idea. For him, also he he really cares about massive scale, so even his demos are you know, just always. A lot of pages, and, and uh, you can really see that it's built for size. So, to me, the the the, the build for size and and the uh, islands architecture, like the, the whole zero JS uh, by default thing, that that appeals more to me than build for SEO because SEO to me sounds like just set some meta tags. Yeah, I I, <laughs> yeah, I, I think I agree there. I guess I guess for, for my takeaway was that what what it's doing is actually generating a lot of content that's indexable without having to write all that content manually. So taking a set of data and giving different views of that data and then positioning those views of that data in that a search engine can quite easily interpret and use and Google's going to sort of pull out the you know, the little questions and summaries it has more easy from that content and it's going to have more relevance because you're, you're taking it's like when you like when you're applying for jobs and you have a bunch of CVs uh, resumes and and you tailor those resumes for each job so in this in this resume, I'm a strong JavaScript developer. In this resume, I'm a strong Node developer, kind of thing. So I think that's that's for me where I see Elder.js fitting. I should probably also want to shout out one one thing on which I changed my mind, which I I I think that's a very useful thing for other people to to think about. So I used to be very excited about this idea of, of MDX, like uh, you write Markdown and then you write some Svelte inside of it, or you write some React inside of it, and it becomes a React component or a Svelte component. I think I've changed my mind on that, and now I don't use MDX anymore. And and Elder.js has this idea of shortcodes, and I think that that's actually more future-proof. And I think that's what Nick Reese also calls it. And I really believe in that now. I think because it separates the idea of like I can have that content with the with the shortcode, but I can choose to re-implement the shortcode in whatever other feature framework that I, that I wish to have. And the only thing that that I have a dependency on is this is the format of like. What's the opening and closing tag of the shortcode and all the metadata that I, that I provide there? I don't need all the other stuff because I'm going to probably take it out of it, take it out anyway into some kind of layout component or some kind of reusable you know, replacement for like H1, A tag, whatever. So I think I, I changed my mind on that specific thing. So I, I just figured I'd share it. I, I, I don't know. Uh, obviously, Penguin may not be too happy to hear that because I, I was a big supporter. I was like, oh yeah, MD Specs is like the future. And then I was like, I was like mm, maybe not. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Well, shortcodes short is, is a thing from like the WordPress era, right? Probably er, earlier than that even. But it's one of those things like I, I'd completely forgotten about shortcodes like after I started using Svelte. But then one, once you realize that how, how powerful they actually are for static, static content like this or like generating content from other content and putting it into to a short code like count counting stuff and all sorts of things it's uh it's, it kind of becomes a must-have i think when you start using them i think i think one thing that i wish people were more thoughtful about is how graceful degradation looks like for example if i was blogging in md specs right then i have a whole bunch of like Different Svelte components in my in my MDX uh, in my Markdown, but if I was if I was going to render that to RSS, what does that mean? <laughs> I don't know. What is that? It doesn't. It's going to come up like a, a jumble of stuff. But then when when people implement shortcodes, they they'll, they'll do things like okay, I want to embed a YouTube video inside of my content, right? Um, so I'll say you know shortcode open tag YouTube and then the the ID. But that also doesn't degrade very gracefully. What I actually want to do is paste the YouTube URL. So if if I if someone comes along without that MDX parsing, uh, uh, the shortcode passing, they can still just click the URL. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. You could probably write a an Elder.js plugin for that. The the, the the my problem with this is not Elder.js. It's actually Dev2. I I use Dev2 as my CMS and then I syndicate it to oh, JS. Oh, okay. By the way, that's an SEO hack because Dev2 forwards all the canonical traffic to your domain. So. It's. Ooh. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know how long this is gonna last, but I, uh, it's <laughs> it's a very very quick way to rank very highly on, on Google. 
I'm gonna I'm gonna edit this out. Keep it for myself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just I'm just joking. Should we uh, move on to some some of the other talks that we uh, that we saw? We talked shortly about MD Svex just now, or Sean did mentioned it. So we might as well talk about Peter's talk, the replicant. That was mind blowing to me. I I had no idea how how repls work behind the scenes and how you bundle stuff in the browser. Nuts. Yeah crazy the, the fact that people like this just casually do do, do things like this for talks is <laughs> mind-blowing yeah it's way above uh, my pay grade for sure <laughs> i think mine too it was great though it was nice in a way because it, it introduced like so many topics in a kind of beginner friendly way in a sense like he used typescript in svelte for example that's not something you often see he wrote a roll-up plugin like all of these things is to me, are not something I know a lot about, like writing roll-up plugins or bundling and all of that. Yeah, I mean, it, it was well explained. It was obviously the whole thing was live coded effectively. It's uh, quite a feat. It's one of those things, again, you know, that goes back to you can do a sort of high-level talk or you can go in-depth on something, and that's just massively, massively more more challenging, I think, especially then to add live coding as well. So, Yeah. <laughs> I think for listeners, I, I kind of stress the, the business value of, of doing something like this. Uh, the whole point is to decrease the, the barrier to trying something out. If I have to download anything, you've probably lost like 90% of the, of the people who visit your site and hear about you. If I can hit your site and then see something live immediately and just play with it, then you have a higher chance of people getting it and then actually trying it out uh, on their local machine. So one, one example that, that recently happened was Tailwind. They've always had some sort of, you know, on their landing page, some animation of what the concept is. But they also re recently released a, a Tailwind Playground. And that's also another process of like, we have to have some kind of compiler in the browser type of situation. But it lets you try it out and it also lets you share it. As much as the Svelte repo is so useful within, within the Svelte community, I, I, I generally feel like Svelte would not be as big today if Svelte repo did not exist. So it's a similar thing to basically everything in developer tooling, like if you are trying to come up with a new format, like a, like a fad bundle, like show me how to validate and, and verify my, my, my config file. Or like, you know, I, I'm working at, I, I'm, I'm doing things like consulting for temporal.io and we want to sh show like a different programming model. And right now people have to pull a Docker container and run it just to, just to see what it's like. What, what if they could just run it in the browser? So I think this technology is like a really good foundation for demonstrating anything and i think it, you know I, I'm, I'm on penguins readme which like he actually cares about docs which is amazing and he's got you know like the ruby playground the go playground rust playground typescript playground like everyone prioritizes this for, for good reason yeah i think sp speaking of like the the svelte repl we should probably try to make that indexable somehow one thing i want to do is like save to svelte society or something like that with like a good name, a description, and then people could heart it, and then we could sort by like most favorited REPL, or or just like you know you want an you want an example of a modal. Here's like ten different modals all in a REPL. I would love to do that somehow. Yeah, somehow. <laughs> I mean, so the the Svelte REPL, you know, you can you can save and you can save endlessly and paginate the results, but that's about it. You know, it really, it really lacks functionality to delete, to rename, to re-index. You know. To share ad sharing links, you know, is not as straightforward as it could be. So it would be really cool to to build a kind of uh, top list of those. I think it'd be a really good feature. So if anyone's out there listening and fancies a task, a little project, there you go. I'm keen on that. I'm keen on that. Like I, I would, I want to pick it up as part of my AWS work as well. So it's a race, Sean. It's a race. You got to race the yeah. Svelte community. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Some other talks we did. We had a talk on data visualization, saving democracy with with Svelte. That was not the title. That was, I think that was my tweet about it. So, yeah, I, I just kind of like was the hype man on Twitter. <laughs> that was a good talk. It's always nice seeing data viz and Svelte. And then also given the two recent IPOs for data exploration companies, that's, uh, that's super interesting, isn't it? Because it's kind of a hot topic right now. Uh, well, the Snowflake is one. You mean Snowflake? No. Uh, well, so, so Snowflake recently did a big a big IPO and then Palantir did one straight afterwards as well. Palantir, I know. that. Isn't that known as one of those? They, they do a lot of defense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a slightly controversial. I honestly don't believe that. You know, I, I haven't looked into it enough to form a judgment, so I try not to judge. But yeah, so so it's interesting because that data visualization piece was specifically interesting, just because you know that's that's 
a real world use case has felt pushing the bar a bit because data viz is quite difficult to get everything in a browser in a performant way is 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 tough the moment you start adding loads of nodes and loads of data points everything starts to slow down and i think therefore you could really showcase the advantage that, that a compiled framework and also something as lightweight and well thought out as felt can provide to data visualization i think that's uh it's, it's a perfect, the perfect use case, in fact. I think there may be enough here. So I, I see a lot of uh, adoption among data viz people. Like we had Amelia Weinberger on this podcast. Actually, during the conference, Moritz Stefaner, I enjoyed his, uh, his podcast, Data Stories. He's a, he's a, he's a well-known data viz guy. Uh, and obviously, I think, you know, they, they use Svelte a lot for data viz at the New York Times. And I think there's, there's like a French, Nate Echo is also uh, a data viz shop using Svelte. I think there's enough here for like a dedicated event for you know, Svelte data viz people to really you know focus shine a light on this and share tools. Pancake is another one that didn't get a showing like this summit, but like it seems like it's picking up steam in data viz. Pancake is the one I'm thinking the right one on side where it, it basically renders an SVG first, so it's actually a server side graphing framework, which is quite rare. Um, I think that's that's quite a special feature that should be should be noted. Data viz uh, conf that would be that would be neat. Well, you know, when when Svelte Society is big enough, we can have multiple tracks, right? Ooh. We can have data viz track <laughs> and we can have the sort of deployment track and. <laughs> yeah, we we actually talked about that yesterday in the in the retro about having may potentially multiple tracks. I don't think we actually decided on anything, but yeah, I don't think we committed to that right now. But it's possible in the future. I think we're we're very inspired by Next.js Conf, which was also happening yesterday, and they had four they had four tracks, and I'm I'm a, I'm a bit conflicted about it because like yeah, it's it's this whole I, I'm very familiar with this dilemma for conference organizers because if you have a single track conference, then you have a shared experience and everyone can chat with everyone else. Whereas you have a multi track conference, you have more choice, but then you also give people more choice stress and you have a shard you have a sharded experience where if you went to a particular conference you don't necessarily know if anyone else shared the same experience as you did but i'd also you know to sort of on the on the counter of that i'd say that if you've got a linear conference and there are talks in the middle that you're not interested in then you've got to sort of break up your day a bit more whereas if you're a data viz person then you can kind of focus on the data viz track so yeah i think it has advantages and disadvantages i i also believe as, as sean's mentioned that the the non-fragmented experience is, is a richer experience and a better experience. So I would say right now, especially that, that certainly tops uh, any other, any reasons for, for having multiple tracks. So I went to a conference in London where we had two tracks, right? And, and it, there was no particular theme. There was, it was just like track A, track B. There was one talk on like, you know, React hooks. And then the other talk was testing in React and like, the entire audience just like <laughs> left the, the testing track and just went to React Hooks. It was just so sad. I like I sat in the testing talk just out of sympathy, but I was just feeling so bad. <laughs> this this also yeah, happened. That's, that's horrible. It happened at the at the Bitcoin conference where well, blockchain cryptocurrency conference I went to. Loads of different tracks on different tokens and stuff. And and uh, of course the main stage got taken by Roger Ver shilling his Bitcoin cash that no one cared about. And <laughs> I've never seen a large room so empty in my life because it was just about him. <laughs> oh, it was empty? It was empty because it was Bitcoin cash oh, and no one cares wow, about Bitcoin. That's so cash. funny. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> so yeah. Isn't he Bitcoin Jesus? Okay, but we, we don't have to turn this into a Bitcoin. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, no, he's, he's <laughs> Bitcoin he's cash. Jesus. He he latched onto a fork, bought loads of them, multimillionaire, but you know, no one else cares about that code, that token. It is uh, <laughs> crypto space, man. Yeah, it's madness. It's picking up and again. It's cool again. Uh, picking crypto up and again. are correlated. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've I've been talking about this. We should do a Svelte coin. Yeah, <laughs> that's probably not. Yeah. No, we can, we can mine right. in the browser with our ripples. Yeah, um, Svelte is so fast you wouldn't even notice. Yeah, right. <laughs> A uh, quick shout out to Annie's, Annie's talk, Mailflix. I think that was a very, like, uh, I always, you know, I think in speaking, you always have, like, you know, service X for first animal Y. Like, you know, Corey Quinn always has, like, Twitter for dogs or Twitter for pets or something like that. It's, it's just, like, a nice, fun thing. And uh, so Netflix for cats is always a, a good theme. But, like, the, the, the extent to which she committed to this theme 
was really impressive because she has basically cat versions of every single popular movie like Meowvatar, <laughs> The Cat of All yeah. Street, <laughs> Game of Paws, Eat Per Leap. Yeah, it's just great. <laughs> well done. And the talk was nice as well. Like the intro was awesome with the flying like Star Wars like cats and I don't know. It's pretty pretty neat. Yeah, you know, conferences are a mix of entertainment and education. And maybe sometimes we we skew too much towards like education or just like, you know, I want to see, I don't want to stare at a code screen all the time. And, you know, I think I agree. Yeah. More, more creativity is nice. It's like the, the talk from, from Svelte Society Day, like back in spring, the creative coding session was awesome. It's it's super nice to get you know to convey a convey a complex message as well with a with something like cats. I think that's that's quite a skill. You know, it keeps it keeps it more digestible. There are a couple of other talks as well, like the uh, so you want to pick a router. I was great on like pretty much the fundamentals of routers and his router as well. And uh, we also had one on modern fetch and Svelte using stores. Also a great like example of a custom store. I think. And it's something that I think a lot of people talk about as well, you know, is, is how can I basically build data fetching into my store? So yeah, nice to cover off uh, a few questions. Very good example. So there's actually one talk on this, uh, on the Svelte Summit website that wasn't in the conference. I don't know if you guys noticed, but learn Svelte using React. So that talk was- Did you release it today? Yes, I'm going to release it today. Unfortunately, I didn't. There was some issue with getting the file to me. So he had uploaded it on some service that didn't allow it to be downloaded. So I didn't have time to to sort that out, unfortunately. So we're going to release that as a as a bonus episode. Exciting. A few more talks. We have ooh, unlocking the power of Svelte actions. Yeah, this is. <laughs> this is the one favorite them uh, yeah. definitely like yeah. that one yeah uh, but he i think he has he has some really good ideas for actions that i've never thought about i think us I, people like uh use css yeah I, th- I think also also like the like the fact that you can use the lifecycle hooks inside of the actions is not something i had considered like bef- after update for example or it was after update right uh, i don't remember but yeah great talk and good ideas for for actions as well, and then uh, the last talk we have introduction to Svelte as well, and the Svelte animations. I think he felt a little bit <laughs> blindsided by Svelte Kit. Yeah, maybe that could have been communicated a, yeah. bit, a bit better. But uh, I mean, I, I've 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 enjoyed Svelte and Svelte. Yeah, absolutely. I think they've also you know they've they've all sort of these other frameworks have had some very valuable ideas that we're considering heavily when, when building Svelte Kit, and I think that you know, we've now got all these people involved to some extent uh so hopefully it's it's more palatable to them that we've kind of you know taken a bit of their uh, their crown away but no i think they're all happy to help out because obviously it's it's fostering the the best possible experience for, for svelte users so yeah so it's, it's all you know it's all working well i appreciate that it feels like blindsiding the problem of course is that you can't really pre-announce something before it exists rich did go away and build svelte kit what what you sort of saw in that demo in a ridiculously quick time, as as is kind of his mo. But I mean, it, it sort of appeared out of nowhere um, for for us too, based on kind of discussions we've been having and mulling over, and for a long time, it suddenly appeared, which is which is great. So um, it's very hard to announce something when you when you also don't know about it yourself. <laughs> but yeah, absolutely. But it should it should hopefully sort of bring some of these ideas together as well, make something really really cool and, and nice. I'm looking forward to it as well. <laughs> yeah, same here. Uh, we we had a couple of beginner talks as well, like the Zen of uh, of uh, Svelte. That was nice, like the intro talk by Morgan. It was very Zen, and I think he did his research. He put he put in you know some previous talks from Rich. The coffee cup was nice. I'm, I'm not sure what I learned from it, apart from like Zen. The production value was nuts. Like it looked so good with the with like the moving TV background and uh, it's probably like a DSLR or something. Yeah, yeah. And we had also prototyping testing with real data. So that was uh, Daniel. He's the guy who's doing the newsletter as well. Ah, oh, that's right. I'm pretty keen on like making the newsletter more of a thing so that uh, we as a community don't only 
stake on Discord and Twitter, I think there's there's probably a, a lot more people to reach beyond just Discord and Twitter. All right. So so the last talk of uh, of the conference was uh, Rich's futuristic web development. That was new to everyone, pretty much. Just to set the context for for people who may not know, like the the, the backstory, like when we organized this this conference, like we put out a bunch of CFPs, and we're 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 always like, obviously, Rich is always on the table, and just like you know, like, hey, if you're free, like you know, I, we know you're busy, and there's an election going on. There's more important things in the world than a than a JS Framer conference, but. <laughs> you know, if you ever wanted to submit something, uh, and then I, I think he like never responded on that until like a week before. No, I, no, it was it was less than that. I think it was just like two or three days or something. No, more. Yeah, maybe it was a week. It, it was very like short notice for sure. But we we managed to to get it in, so that was nice. Well, it's funny because I guess around that time he said, oh, "I'm going on holiday." And so he went on holiday, and then when he came back, so written. So I'm not sure what kind of holiday it was. But. I think we can probably ask him about it on next episode. So he's coming yeah, on. Oh yeah, teaser. We 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 actually booked it for next week. Yes, we could touch on this, I guess. Like, what is SvelteKit? Can you can you give us a an overview, Anthony? I can. So SvelteKit as it currently stands, and again, we've not really said much about it. It is still kind of closed off to the sort of the public view. The reason being that it's very hard to work on something when you've got a lot of people weighing in at the same time. And right now we have a bunch of maintainers and it's already difficult. So to have everything, everyone else involved as well would be extremely difficult and it probably wouldn't move. So I think what we've done is we've tried to close it off, build something, build a kind of baseline and then produce that baseline. And what that baseline currently looks like is essentially a serverless-first framework. It will handle, uh, it will be very modular. So all everything is a bunch of modules plugged together. Uh, you can The idea being kind of pull in and pull out what you want. It will essentially do, we hope as much as possible, it will be a like-for-like for SAPA like right now. So making the migration path from SAPA to SvelteKit very simple. And it has various abstractions over deployment. So solving that problem. I've built a SAP application. Where do I put it? How do I host it? More that that kind of is almost built in as a first first class citizen uh, via adapters, which people uh, know a little bit about that will take the the compiled output of the of the Svelte app project, the Svelte kit project, and turn that into a specific layout and manifest in that it can be deployed to a variety of providers. That's, that's the current status quo. Um, it can handle, you know, completely statically rendered things. It can handle dynamic pages. I believe what we've got to now is a point where you can actually have an application composed of both those types of things. But yeah, and, the, and I guess the reason you've not heard too much uh, about it and there's not been like a roadmap publicly or anything is because that brings along with it a level of commitment. And given the schedules, the ever-changing schedules of, of the maintainers and the people working on this that are not maintainers right now, what that means is we end up with over-committing and publishing a schedule that probably won't come to fruit in the way it will, and potentially promising things that never materialize or or when they when they appear are very different. So it's intentionally kind of a vague idea with a little preview right now of what it looks like. By all means, run the node modules, play around with it, do what you can. But right now, I think the best thing to do is just accept that that's how it is. And when we get to making it public, It'll be a very exciting time because everyone kind of investigate how it works. And we expect a huge influx of, of modules uh, based on what people have been saying. So that's pretty exciting. And uh, just hope that day comes sooner rather than later. <laughs> Let's hope it comes soon, yeah. So if you try this out, don't don't like post about bugs on GitHub about it, probably, right? <laughs> yeah, the, the likelihood is the bug is known by us. The likelihood is that the bug, by the time you write that GitHub issue, it will have completely changed anyway. So the bug will no longer be relevant. That's kind yeah, of the reason bug. for... Yeah, well, yeah, there'll be plenty of new bugs. For every bug, we can make two more bugs, right? <laughs> but yeah, it's a, it's a rapidly changing landscape with no particular kind of... I wouldn't say it's directionless, but it's obviously there's lots of different directions and experiments going on. So there will be bugs. There are definitely dragons, which is a... A famous rich phrase, I believe. Yeah. <laughs> I should mention a pop couple because I work in like public communication, so I, is, I, know, I know that this is the point where we talk about frequently asked questions. So the first thing is is the is the 
you know, fear, uncertainty, and doubt from essentially deprecating Sapper and not having a replacement. So it's important to understand that the maintainers of SvelteKit and, and Sapper are the same people, and they all they have large production apps like Anthony, and they are very keen on a smooth migration path. And uh, Rich is also very aware that like leaving leaving Sapper in limbo like this isn't for for a long time isn't isn't a good thing for Svelte. So he he wants it in weeks rather than months. That's the first that's the first FAQ. Then the second FAQ is also why not Vite and why uh, Snowpack. And uh, I think the, the 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 main answer is Vite is too tied into the Vue ecosystem and Snowpack is more agnostic. And yeah, those are the two FAQs that I saw on Twitter. Yeah. We, you know, Vita is an interesting question because obviously Sveet works and it's really good. The, the fact is that if we start depending on external things, then we can't make the decisions that we want to make in the most optimal way because we're always at the behest of some other person who maybe has different interests than, than we do. So yeah, not, not at all a slight on Vite or Vita, whatever it's called. I think it's, it's brilliant, but it has some baked in decisions that you can't change and we need to have the flexibility to change the decisions. And Snowpack is excellent. So uh, it's one of those things. It definitely makes sense. Yeah. And, and Snowpack is headed in exactly the direction we want to be in. So, so yeah. But again, like Snowpack's not set in stone. It's, it's looking very probable right now, but it's not set in stone. Everything is still very much in flux. This is our second event, conference, whatever you call it, uh, online. The first time around, uh, it was Felt Society Day in April. And, uh, you know, I, I think uh, something that we, that we, did last time that we didn't do this time was these live REPL offs because it was more live or we could actually, you know, interact with Kev as he was struggling <laughs> to keep his internet up. Sweating <laughs> profusely. <laughs> uh, and we had, we had, we had some fun, you know, countdown timer challenges. And then this time around, uh, I tried to get that started again, but essentially picked a challenge that was too hard. But I think it's something that there's a, it's a tradition unique to us that we will yeah. probably try to, to keep up next time. I think I'm pretty much decided on doing this like in a more live version next time. So going back to, to Svelte Society Day style, but using really? yeah, but using like a something like StreamYard that doesn't really rely on my connection. So so we can avoid the, the technical issues. And e- even if we do get some technical issues, I think that's fine. I think it's worth yeah, the people, trade-off. People very understanding. Yeah, and it's worth the trade-off of getting like these these live, fun kind of so, sort of games going between the talks. I think that's the route we'll be taking. Speaking of doing that, there will be another Svelte Summit in spring. Oh, I, we're we're saying spring now. Okay, yeah. I, didn't, I didn't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, 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 I guess I just decided a. As well, <laughs> no. I, I mean, I, I also I also posted the Mount Fuji thing. Oh so. yeah, you did with the with the hush emoji, <laughs> like the shush, like the keep the quiet. Hush. Yeah, hush. Nobody saw it. I, I, like, uh. I, <laughs> but no, I, I think I think we enjoy it. I think it's a it's a good thing for the Svelte community. It got a lot of attention from people who don't currently use Svelte. So I, I think I think this is something that we are we're doing a really good job for, and we want to keep up the momentum. Yeah, it was it was it was super fun. And next time it will be even more fun because I don't have to do that like the manual emailing and stuff. So <laughs> so be great. Some other things from a retro. We we want more more women speakers. Uh, we only had any this time. Uh, I th- I think we're gonna you know try to make more of an effort to invite you know more women and and just make make it make it clear that you know they're explicitly welcome and to showcase their their talents. Um, you know I I tried to contact some others, but I I, I think I did it too last minute, so uh, we didn't manage to do it this time. But it's a priority for us. The event was kind of long. It was like seven hours and, and definitely people were kind of tired by the end. So we all just went to sleep instead of having like an after party. So probably we're going to make it shorter. And uh, that means a, a bit more selection pressure than already it was, was this time around. And, and so I think there should be more room for non, like it shouldn't be just twice a year a conference. Uh, it should be like small meet, small meetups elsewhere as well. And we can host everything on a YouTube channel and, and spread the knowledge. So I, I'm, very, I'm very keen on like, you know, what can we do outside of the conference? I don't, I don't know many other frameworks that have like a kind of a specific YouTube channel for their stuff in this in the same way that Svelte or Svelte Society does. So I think that's probably something we can we can leverage in a good way. 
Oh yeah, yeah. YouTube is the second biggest search engine, so we should dominate SEO. <laughs> oh, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> are, are we going to start doing some black hat CEO now on like with <laughs> keyword stuffing and all all of that? I don't, I don't, I know nothing about that. <laughs> Learn CSS 101, and then it just uses spell without telling you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's awesome. All right, let's move uh, move on to to picks. Picks. And Anthony and was very excited. He, he, I'm very excited. You're the, you're the My pick, bizarrely, is is the British plug, right? It's the UK plug. And the reason that it's a pick is because it was recent. I was recently reminded. I knew about this anyway, but I was recently reminded that this is the best plug design in the world. And the reason being is because of all the safety features it has. So, for instance, the longer earth pin that opens the slots for the live and neutral. So when you're putting the plug in, because it looks kind of janky and, and too oversized and stuff, when you're putting it in, there's no chance of you touching that live pin because the gates aren't the gates aren't open. There's no connection until it's far enough in that your finger won't get there. So that's pretty cool. It's big and chunky like this. You know, they they usually this size. I know that Apple tend to reduce them, but it's so that you can get a good grip on it and pull it out, and that's it's fantastic. Obviously, they all they all tend to have earths. You know, apart from a few devices, they all have earths. There's like a million things they've thought about when building this plug and the net result is it's not particularly pretty, but it really works well. And I think I think the other thing is, you know, you can buy these these kid-proof adapters to put in your plug sockets and you can buy from Ikea and stuff like that and people put them in there and they block up the holes on the socket, but it's actually an anti-pattern that, right? Because the sockets have this this health and safety built in the gates are closed. You can't ram anything in the holes unless you open the earth first and then ram something in a hole. And that's not going to happen. You know, a kid is not going to do that by accident. So those those little adapters you can get for plug sockets are actually an anti-pattern because there's a potential to actually try and remove them, break them off, leaving the gates for the live and neutral open, right? So they're, they're actually worse and less safe than not having anything in the sockets. Which just blows my mind. Why? Why is that? Why is that a thing? Oh, and they're all they're all fused as well. They all have a fuse in them. You unscrew this screw here, and there's a fuse in the in the in the left there. It's a great design. So I I think it's just it's it's like a tidbit, but it's worth noting that uh, this is a genuinely good plug design. We're not just we don't just love big ugly things sticking out of our walls. <laughs> but yeah, that's my pick. Nice. That's a that's a strange pick. <laughs> I know. I I love I love that he's so passionate about this. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's good to appreciate the design of everyday things. You know that the classic book, and I think uh, it's picking up again with ninety nine percent invisible the the podcast that also focuses on the design of everyday things. And I think they just put out a book uh, so much so that my dad heard about it, and I was like, wow, you you heard about it? That must that must mean it, it hit the mainstream. The only follow-up question I have is, uh, you know, the American plugs, usually there are two pins, but, the, you know, there's a three-pin three, three pin version. Does it do the same thing? Because it kind of has the long line. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think it does. You'll see that you haven't got this. You see this, like I've got this plastic bit on the pins here. Uh-huh, so yeah. that even if I get it halfway in and stick my finger there, I can't touch the actual pin. I see yours doesn't uh, have that. It doesn't. No, no, none of them have that. But also, without the earth, the US plug tends to, wobble out the wall doesn't it i remember seeing that in in america when i was there <laughs> Plug, plugs are hard <laughs> i'm not i'm not defending it i'm just i'm just no you know, no I'm I'm curious, genuinely, you're... <laughs> when i was mentioning that well we were talking about this the other day with some friends actually that's what we do okay that's just who we are but essentially <laughs> um he he's in australia right he's in australia and they they also have a, a a similar plug design to us now a bit more recently obviously but it's actually based on an early design of the u.s plug from 1972, I think, but all all it is is exactly like the US plug, but the but the pins are twisted to a slight diagonal, right, so that it doesn't fall out the wall as easily, and it has an earth pin, and I believe, and I can't verify this because I'm he wasn't entirely sure, but I think it also has the gate system so that the earth pin opens the two other gates, but yeah, so the Aussies are the Aussies are you know up there with it but come on this is the best one <laughs> this is this is why it's in hong kong as well right i'd argue it's uh the european one is better but yep that's just oh. me anyway <laughs> my pick is almond butter have you guys had almond butter it's it's the best nut butter you can get love it i've been rec- recently i've been like doing how how many nut butters are there one for each nut so pe- <laughs> peanut butter <laughs> That did not come out the way you intended it. No, no, no. Sorry. (laughs) 
peanut butter, almond butter, pistachio butter, pecan butter, macadamia nutter. And, and have you have you scientifically trialed trialed all of these? I have in not. A blind no test. <laughs> but but they, but I love them. Like I I've recently been eating a lot of smoothies and uh, nut butters go go very well with uh, with smoothies. They are good. They are good in smoothies. That's a good pick. I mean, so it's interesting because my wife is now doing sort of dairy free stuff and it's it's using these butters and these milks alternatives. I would love to share in that with her and support her, but these, especially almond butter, I think it is, and and soy milk or soy yogurt, it has a very bad effect on my stomach. So I have oh. to stick with dairy. <laughs> it's a good job I'm not intolerant because a lot of those butters are not not good with me at all. So, but yeah, they they're quite delicious actually, especially almond ones. Cashew butter is another is another one nice one. Mm. I feel like I've been not adventurous enough with my butter. You haven't tried <laughs> these things. You, you should. You yeah, should def- I'm, I'm still. I'm, I'm still at the margarine butter boundary. I'm not. I'm not at the advanced stages of. Have uh, you specialized have you had butter? Peanut butter. Yeah, yeah, but I, I don't <laughs> like it. It's too sweet. Too too sticky. Really? Oh yeah. Maybe <laughs> you know, that- there's a special phobia for peanut butter uh, sticking to the back of your mouth. Really? It is claggy. It is claggy. It, it get. It does get stuck claggy. in your mouth, right? The whole earth one is is great because the whole earth one's just there's no like palm oil or anything in it. It's just ground up peanuts, and that one's quite. It's not very not sweet. It's not salty because you haven't put any salt in there or anything. Yeah, if you if you do get a nut butter, you should definitely get one that's just one hundred percent of the of the particular nut. Yeah. Okay, this is the the peanut butter podcast. Arachi uh, <laughs> <laughs> Arachi butyrophobia. That's the fear of peanut butter sticking to the roof of your Interesting mouth. Interesting name. It's, it's, a, it's a very common thing. It's it's. it's I can see known. that. I don't know. I can see that. There, there's two there's two phobias that I memorized. That that one, and then the hippopotamonstrosis crepidophobia, which is the fear of long words. Oh, right. Yeah. Ironic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Sean, what, what's uh, what, what's your pick? Okay, my pick's the opposite. Uh, so after you had your your almond butter, then you should work out more. So my pick is working out. Uh, I did a poll on Twitter. How often are you working out right now? Forty three percent out of three thousand votes said they're not working out at all. And obviously, there's a lot of stress going on with with life with uh, working at home. But you know, at some point, it becomes an excuse, and we still have to take take care of ourselves no matter what the situation. And I definitely was not doing that. You know, I'm not judging other people because I was also not working out. But I started working out again recently, and I, I'm feeling better. And I just want to encourage and remind people that they can do it. From go from zero to one times a week. About twenty seven percent of people work out three to five times a week, and that's probably the right right amount. So just keep doing that. Awesome. Yeah, I think it's a good one because I, I actually work out more during lockdown, and it's it's occurred to me how little I worked out before lockdown. So yeah, definitely worth getting into. Yeah, I think I think there are memes like circulating around where. You're like it's the the pre pre COVID sort of picture of a of a cartoon man, and then there's an after picture, and it's either like this huge fat person or it's like the super muscular one. So so you either go down the path of working out a lot more, or you go down the path of eating a lot more. I think that that kind of holds true for a lot of people. For for example, me, I, I have trouble doing things in moderation. I always do things like a hundred percent. Well, so you know, reminder to be healthy and to eat well and to not electrocute yourself. That's definitely good things from us today. And also eat almond butter. (laughs) (laughs) All right. And on uh, that note, thanks for listening, and we'll be back in a couple of weeks again. Bye. Bye. Bye.